All right, let's get to work. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13 be our text this morning. Uh, We're continuing in our series called Illusions, and uh, we're looking at the parables of Jesus. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're just going to jump right in. Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look at the parable of the weeds, beginning at verse 24. So Matthew 13, beginning at 24, this is God's Word to us this morning. It says that he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and then he went away. And when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master's house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How is it that there's weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, less than gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Did you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity now to hear from your word. And uh, God, our prayer continues to be to open our eyes to see truth, uh, that uh, those in this room that would be uh, under an illusion, that you would give them sight this morning to see their life, uh, how it truly is. And uh, Lord, just work in our hearts and do only what you can do. Uh, May your spirit give us divine illumination, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. It was 1994. I was a sophomore in high school. I'm getting old, I know. And I was sitting on the bench watching our junior and senior uh, basketball players on our high school team play. Yes, I know another basketball story, but bear with me. As a sophomore, I'm sitting on the bench and I'm watching the juniors and seniors on the floor and they're absolutely getting hammered by the opposing team. It was awful. It was pathetic. It was embarrassing. In fact, just to give you some idea as to how bad it was, the home crowd, our fans were leaving before halftime. Now, that's really encouraging, you know, if you're the home team, to see your fans leaving before halftime's even here. In fact, to make matters even worse, the opposing team's fans started chanting very suggestive things about our athletic abilities and family relationships and things that just weren't very nice. I mean, it was absolutely the most humiliating basketball game I was ever a part of. And we went into the locker room, and it was dead silent. Nobody would speak. Nobody would say anything. Everybody just kind of hung their head. They were so disgusted. This was a team, after all, that we were supposed to beat. And you could just feel the sense of defeat in the room. So our team goes back out, and the third quarter, guess what happens? The beating just keeps on going. In fact, I think at one point we were down by over 30 points. It was awful. And our coach, I'm sure, in just an act of desperation and frustration, looks down the bench and he gets five sophomores 
one of which was your pastor. And he put them in the game. He just, he was so frustrated. He pulled all the starters out and put us in. And we kind of made a little bit of a run, but it wasn't that much. And, and four of our fans that were still left were clapping, you know, two of which were my parents, you know. But we, we had a little bit of a run, but really by the end of the third quarter, everybody still felt like we're going to lose. The fourth quarter started and five of us sophomores, we walked out on the court and we huddled together and we just said, no matter what happens, we're going to keep playing. We're going to give it everything we have, no matter what happens. And it was amazing. Things started changing. We pressed and they started turning the ball over one right after another. Everything we shot went in. Everything they shot was a big brick. And you could feel the momentum in the place turning. And, and all four of our fans were really excited. And, and you could just, you could tell it was a totally different atmosphere. And like something out of the movie Hoosiers, those five sophomores, when the buzzer sounded, won the game. It was awesome. We were jumping. Four people stormed the court. You know, it was, it was awesome, you know? I mean, to be a part of that great comeback. And we all kind of love comeback stories, don't we? I mean, we see it in the movies all the time. Like Rocky, you know, he gets punched 4,000 times in his face. (laughs) And yet in the final round, he somehow has the strength to come back and win. Uh, We see it, for instance, uh, in politics. Abraham Lincoln, lost a congressional race, two uh, races for the Senate, a vice president nomination. And what happens? He comes back to be one of the greatest presidents we've had. Or, or we see it in business. Steve Jobs. Any of you Apple products? Yes? No? Not so, okay. Yeah. Steve Jobs was fired from Apple in 1985. He was sitting in his unfurnished home, bawling, only to come back and lead the company to great success. We see it even in life. You've heard of Bethany Hamilton, the 13-year-old girl. Maybe you've seen the movie about her. 13 years old, has her arm bitten off by a shark. And yet, after surgery and rehabilitation, she comes back to surf again. Now, side note, I think I'd have stayed out of the water, all right? But that's an awesome story. She came back even with all that that went on. Now, now, some of you have experienced comeback stories in your life, haven't you? Like maybe it was your career. Maybe you never thought you were going to pass the class and you did. And that was a miracle. You know, Uh, maybe it was your marriage. Like you felt like there's no way our marriage can recover from this. And then you come back. We all love a good comeback story, don't we? But listen to me. The one thing that's true of every great comeback story is there's a moment where it feels almost certain you're going to lose. There's that moment where all you can see is defeat because the opponent is too strong, the obstacles are too big, the business is bankrupt, the relationship is too far gone, and it feels in that halftime locker room moment of life that you're defeated. Some of you've been there. Some of you are there. 
And this morning, that's exactly where the disciples are at here in Matthew chapter 13. Which means that there's times in our life where even as Christians we feel this way, right? Moment of honesty, you ever look at the world and just feel like, it just kind of looks like sometimes Christianity's losing. You watch the news, you read the paper, you, you read the article, you talk to the friend, and, and it just feels like that, that the things of God are losing. It just feels like there's more suffering than there is rejoicing. There's more pain than there is good things. And we just, we look at the world and we just feel like, God, is the victory that we sing about real? Is the victory that I hear sermons about true? Help me. And that's what the disciples feel like. They want the kingdom of God now, but they're not seeing the kingdom of God the way they think it should come. And so Jesus tells them a parable. And in this parable, he tells them about a problem that they're going to face. Here's the problem. Look at verse 24. He puts another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And so when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. Jesus tells a story that would have been very familiar uh, to the disciples and those around uh, about a man. He owns a field. He works very hard to sow good seed. He wants a good crop, good wheat, and he works very hard, he and his servants, to plant that. Like anybody that works really hard at night, they go to sleep. And what happens in the night is the enemy of this man comes into his field and he sows this large counter crop, this bad seed all throughout his field. Now, this was actually a real thing that would happen in the ancient Near East. In fact, it was such a big problem, the Romans had a law against it. Because if you mess with a man's field, you mess with a man's life. He needs his field to live. I mean, this isn't like playing a practical joke on your coworker, you know, like putting their stapler in jello or, you know, covering their car with, with sticky notes or, you know, the, the person at Starbucks that you upset gives you a little bit of decaf instead of what you ordered. It's not, it's not a practical joke. It'd be like somebody hacks into your computer and gets your bank account information. Somebody comes into your house in the night and robs, takes things. Somebody starts a rumor about you at work and hopes to get you fired. Now, if that were to happen in your life, that would be very serious, wouldn't it? I mean, the, the consequences of that action could be very severe, and so you'd be concerned. The disciples know that. They're intrigued. Jesus, how is the kingdom of heaven like that? Explain. And so Jesus does. Look at verse 37. Jesus, now he's just talking to the disciples, answered, the one who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Now that's a pretty simple explanation, isn't it? Jesus says here, listen, disciples, gather around here for just a second. Here's what you need to understand. In the field, 
that is in the world, what you're going to experience, what you're going to see is on one hand, God is at work. Amen? You're going to see that. And so you got church movements in China and revivals in South Africa and missionaries that are sent all over the world and a family member that shares the gospel with another family member and they believe. You have a teenager that gets on fire for Jesus Christ. You have a marriage that is reconciled because of a gospel witness. Man, there are times, Brian, when you look around and it's just obvious that God's at work. You see his hand, you, you see him doing things that are, are awesome, they're incredible, and, and you see that in the world. But at the same time, Jesus says, you're going to see another kingdom at work. There is an enemy who's at work as well, and so you're going to see false religions and gossip that destroys relationships. And you're going to see sinful lifestyles that are celebrated and slander and oppression and the destruction of families. In other words, just as you look at the world and it's going to be obvious that God is at work, you're also going to look at the world and it's going to be obvious that there's an enemy at work as well. Now here's the tension. Come in close here. Here's the tension. For those of you that want the kingdom which is appropriate after a few weeks ago learning the Lord's Prayer, those that would say, I really want God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. If you really want that, you're going to experience some tension in this world. Because as the servants of the, of the field are working in the field and they want a good crop, they want to see God at work, they want to see His kingdom come, yet every time they look to the side, they see weeds. And that's frustrating, isn't it? I mean, just in a very small way, I experienced this just a couple weeks ago. I pulled all the weeds out of our, you know, like flower beds area and all that. Pulled all the weeds out, came back a few days later, and the weeds are growing back. I mean, you've experienced that. And, and isn't that frustrating? You're like, man, I worked so hard to get those weeds out, and yet they've come back. Jesus is saying to his disciples, as you are working in the field, it's very frustrated, frustrating when you look to your side and you see evil and you see heartbreak and you see brokenness and it's going to feel like you're losing. I'm working so hard in the field and yet there seems to be just as many weeds as there is wheat. But that feeling of defeat, disciples, is only an illusion. Now, let me say this. Just jot this down. Make this mental note. Look at me right here. Anytime God sows seed, you can bank on the enemy coming into the night and trying to mess that up. You show me a church that's on fire. In fact, one of the things that I am most concerned about right now at Berea, and of all the great things that are happening, is I know the enemy hates it. And I know he's going to do anything he can to disrupt us and to take our focus off of the gospel. You give me a family that's on fire for Jesus. You show me somebody who's loving Christ with all their heart, and I'll show you an enemy who hates it and will do everything he can to sow seed in their life to, to get them to lose their focus, to get them frustrated and upset. The disciples are there, and oftentimes we get there even as Christians. But let me, let me make this one thing very clear. The field belongs 
to Jesus. This isn't like there's two kingdoms that are equal and they're in a race to see who wins. The field in the parable belongs to God. He is ultimately in control. This is our Father's world. Let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. But even though we know that to be true, it's going to be frustrating and difficult as we look at a world and see so much that's wrong. And it gets worse. (laughs) Aren't you excited about that? It's not just bad enough that the enemy sows bad seed, but the seed that the enemy sows is often very different, very difficult to tell between it and the good seed. In fact, some of your translations will use the word darnell for the word weeds. In fact, look at the picture here of, of wheat compared to the darnell. You see, it's, it looks pretty similar. And that's the word used here for weeds in Matthew 13. When you look at it, you can't always tell the difference between the two. So it's bad enough that there's weeds, but makes the matters worse that the weeds often look like the wheat. And the only way you know for sure is you have to wait and let it mature. You have to give it time before you can tell. Let me illustrate it this way. I'm convinced that every baby that's born looks like this. Okay? Male, female. (laughs) Doesn't matter. Boy, girl. They pretty much all look like that. But yet, anytime a baby's born, like, it's interesting that, that, like, everybody in the family wants to comment as to who the baby looks like. Oh, you know, it's like three seconds they've been alive. Oh, yeah, clearly it looks like her mother, you know. Or you ever had that family member that loves to interject, you know, yeah, it looks like the second aunt, great remove. I mean, just like offering all these opinions. But, but you don't know, ultimately. You may have some idea. How many of you have ever said this or heard someone say, you know, children change so much when they get older? you got to wait a little while. And as they get older, as they develop, then you'll be able to say, oh yes, she looks like her mother. Oh yes, she looks like her father. I mean, we experienced this when my son was born. There was the whole debate as to who he looked like. And a few days later, this happened and kind of cleared it up for us. (laughs) It's like, after a day, he had a goatee and sideburns. You do realize the amount of counseling my children are going to need. (laughs) But the point is, is you don't know till it gets older. You have to wait till it matures. See, Jesus is saying that Satan here not only sows bad seed, he sows bad seed that looks like good seed. And it makes the problem even worse when you want the kingdom of God. When you want the pure, authentic work of God to be done, it gets very frustrating when that that looks right ends up being wrong, which is why the Bible warns us over and over again about deception. 1 Timothy 4.1, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. Romans 16.17, watch out for those who cause divisions 
and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Hebrews 13.9, you listening? Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Jude, verse 3 and 4. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Why? Because certain people have crept in unnoticed and they pervert the grace of our God and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Brian, you look at me, there are people out there, there are churches out there that will give you anything you want, but they may not give you what you need. We live in a world that will, man, they will wrap lies in things that taste so sweet. And it will feel like that's right. It will feel like that's true, but it may be weeds. And there are churches out there and they are growing and they are exploding, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're preaching the gospel. Friends, listen, you go somewhere that doesn't believe that this book is absolutely the word of God and is pointing you to Jesus over and over again and is proclaiming to you the gospel, run. Run. Because in the world, in the field, there is deception that looks like wheat, but it's weeds. That's, I just got to be honest with you. Like, I just feel like the disciples at times. Totally free. Like, I just, it's frustrating. When you want so much God's work to be done, and yet time and time and time and time again, you run into weeds. In fact, I often feel like the disciples. Notice verse 27. The servants of the master of the house came and said, Master, do you not sow, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said, An enemy has done this. Now notice what the servants say. The servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? <laughs> but he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Remember, the disciples wanted the full kingdom of God right now. But you ever felt like that? Like, I'm so tired of seeing broken families. I'm so tired of going to funerals. I'm so tired of seeing corruption. I just want to rip all the weeds out of the world. I want a weedless neighborhood. I want a, a weedless church. I want a weedless South Metro. Man, I get so frustrated. And I'd like to think it's a righteous frustration, but, but I see so much in our culture and in our world, and it's all I can do to just take the weeds and yank it out. If you care about God, if you care about His kingdom, if you care about the work, of Jesus, you'll feel like that at times. But what, is the, what does the master of the field say? You listening? It's not your job. It's not your job. I haven't called you to be a weed puller. I've called you to be a seed sower. And could, would you hear me? I have met so many Christians that have become bitter and impatient and critical 
because they have taken their eyes off the calling of sowing seed and put it on the responsibility of pulling weeds. Jesus says, listen, 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 listen. You have a job to do, and that job is to plant good seeds and to influence the weeds that they might become wheat. It has not been to attack. That's a word for a lot of Christians, amen? Jesus says, be patient here. And do you know why you need to be patient Do you know why? No, 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 no. Listen, the the, the darnel and the wheat grow together and you don't have the discernment to be a weed puller because you may actually end up harming the work of the kingdom in your own self-righteousness. I am the patient farmer. I will take care of that because what if, what if, We started pulling weeds 20 years ago the way the disciples want. How many of you this morning, you don't have to raise your hand, but you're wheat, but you used to be a weed. There was a time when you were apart from Christ, where you didn't know the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. But what happened? God, the owner of the field, was patient towards you and you became wheat. You see, Jesus is teaching the disciples, you do your job and let me do mine. You're not the role of judge and weed puller. You are the evangelist, the seed sower. And let me say a word to the weeds this morning. Now, I'm looking out and you're really beautiful. I mean, it looks like a field of wheat, you know, I'm trying to be nice. But there may be weeds in here. Likely with a crowd this size, there are weeds in here. Please, please, please hear me. God is being patient with you. God is being patient with you. The harvest may come this afternoon. The harvest may come tomorrow. While it is still called today, would you repent of your sin and would you turn to a loving Savior who this morning will receive you? The only reason the harvest has not come is because God is being patient with the field. And there are many weeds in here this morning that would say, thank you, Jesus, that you were patient with me. The patience of God is an act of grace. But you look at me. Don't excuse the patience of God as passivity. A harvest is coming. A harvest is coming. Notice what Jesus says, verse 30. Let both grow together until, until, until what? Until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat and into the barn. Now, Jesus explains this, verse 40, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom, all causes of sin, all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Make no mistake. A harvest is coming. 
And I know there'll be times when you're frustrated in the field. I know there's going to be times when you're tired of weeds, but know a harvest is coming. And this text, this text forces us to deal with the unpopular and wildly debated doctrine of hell. Hear me, Berean, there are people who do not believe that hell exists. There are people who believe there is a hell, but nobody's going there. There are people who believe there's a hell, but people won't stay there long. We see people even under the the name Christian who would denounce hell, Carlton Pearson. YouTube him and hear his story. He was an up-and-coming pastor in the Pentecostal movement. Very popular, large church, massive amounts of people was watching an ABC News report one night about suffering in third world country. And he said, that's hell. There is no hell after life. Hell is only the difficulty that you face in this life. And he denounced a biblical view of hell. People like Rob Bell in his book, Love Wins. The whole point of the book is that love's going to win in the end. God's love will win and everybody will go to heaven. Hear me. There is no no pleasure in my heart to announce this. But I realize that that may be a lot less controversial and that may make you feel a lot more comfortable. The problem is it's not what Jesus says. It's just not. Jesus, in his own words, is going to do what every farmer who has a field will do. He's going to harvest it. And the weeds will be eternally punished. And it would not be a loving pastor, it would not be a loving church to know that the bridge is out ahead for some of you, but yet not tell you about it for fear you won't like the message. But the gates are still open now. Would you turn, receive the grace of God before the harvest comes? Well, how does the parable end? Well, here's now the whole point. We haven't even got to the main point yet. (laughs) But I'm hungry. We'll bring a lunch next time, all right? (laughs) I don't want to end it with the warning of a harvest, though that's in the text. I want to end it the way Jesus ends it which is a message of hope because who, who, who is this parable explained to? It's not the crowds. In fact, Jesus pulls his disciples aside, or better yet, the disciples come to him and say, you got to tell us about this whole weed, wheat thing. What in the world? Jesus tells this parable to encourage his disciples who he knows are going to get frustrated in the field who he knows are going to feel like at times that they're losing. So how does he end the parable? Notice verse 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Look at me. I know you're going to get tired. I know you're going to get frustrated. I know you're going to get worn out. I know you're going to feel like you're losing. But make no mistake. The kingdom of God will prevail. 
I will build my church. And it's happening right now in a Walmart break room. It's happening right now in a taxi cab somewhere in Minneapolis. It's happening right now at Berean Baptist Church in Burnsville, Minnesota. The kingdom of God is advancing and it will win. And God is not asking your permission. And he is not taking a popularity poll. Jesus says the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So you can go to sleep tonight. The kingdom of God will prevail. And not only that the kingdom of God will prevail, but the kingdom of God will be unveiled. In other words, man, in the middle of your stress, in the middle of all that you're going through in your job, in the middle of all that you're dealing with in your family, if you are wheat, you're going to see heaven. Would you just think about that? One day... Your eyes will behold the most glorious thing in all the world. And I know that at times along the way it's going to feel like you're losing, but I'm going to tell you one day that buzzer is going to sound and you will see victory with your very eyes. But between now and then, disciples, church, be patient. I know you want that person that avenged you or hurt you avenged now. I know you want the kingdom of God now. I know you want the healing now. But the kingdom of God is like sowing seed. You wait until the harvest. And not only do you need to be patient, don't, don't you let anybody take your hope away. You hear me? Don't let anybody outside those doors steal your hope. The righteous is going to shine like the sun. You're going to see the kingdom of our Father. And many of you right now, you're in the halftime locker room and you feel like you've lost, you feel like you're going to be defeated, and Jesus' word to you is if you are the good seed in the world, take heart, you win. You win. The defeat you see now is only an illusion. The reality is victory. And you know what? Jesus is preparing his disciples in Matthew 13, not just for the moment. But as I've told you before, just a short time after Matthew 13, the disciples are going to need this. And they're going to need it because they are going to witness firsthand their first string leader get absolutely hammered, literally, by his opponent. And it was an opponent that they thought for sure he could beat. And the crowds on that day had all gone home. What little bit of crowd remained was chanting, if you're really the king, come down off the cross. And it was bloody, and it was ugly, and it was humiliating, and it smelled like death. And the disciples 
sat there in that locker room certain they had lost. But little did they know that three days later that body they laid in the tomb would come back. The gates of hell did not prevail then, Brian. It will not do so now. And God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, give us that hope. Encourage that person this morning that is frustrated and struggling in their life, that's become discouraged. Maybe they've even taken on the role of pulling weeds instead of sowing seed. God, encourage them this morning with your word. There are others in this room who are weed. They are outside of Christ, and the call to them is God is patient with you. Come, believe, put your faith in Christ, because a harvest is coming. Would you, O great sower, do the work in this field? I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.